be living uh, downtown. And so tonight, one of the, after the service, we will have some food back there, and you guys are all welcome to just stick around, um, eat, some, eat some dinner, and enjoy fellowship. Uh, so we try to cycle through different things that would at least encourage or structure some of that community um, down here. And so next week, uh, once, once a month, we try to also have a date night. And basically what that means is uh, younger, younger couples who have kids are able to leave their kids here and go out for about an hour, hour and a half um, around here and eat dinner together uh, while older, wiser, more generous people, usually handsome, beautiful, uh, will watch the kids. And so we're looking for some older, wiser, more generous, handsome, beautiful people for next week. We need a few, few more. Um, so if you're interested in that, uh, grab probably Evan or Josh, uh, Mike or Dee tonight, but they won't be around next week. Is that right? You, you'll be here. You need extra. Holy cow. <laughs> it's a ton of fun. Awesome. That, I like that. And it, genuinely, um, different opportunities to that. There's a thousand opportunities to serve, and there's different ways to thir- serve. And when you're looking for them, um, they don't all have to come from, from the leadership minds. Just bring them up. But that truly is a way that I know that as people have uh, tackled our four kids, uh, it's encouraged Sherry and I. It's strengthened our relationship. And hopefully, as a result of that, it's, it's manifest God to the world. And so all those little things truly matter. Uh, tonight we're starting a new series, and basically it's called The Bible Versus Our Culture. Um, I'll tell you what it isn't. It's not trying to set an us versus them mentality at all. Basically, what we're going to do is we're going to look at different things that uh, biblical approaches to certain topics, uh, biblical philosophies of life, and then how our culture, and I might, may even say not just our culture, but oftentimes just the culture of the world, Satan or my flesh. And so it can be very easy sometimes to see yourself on one camp and see them on the other. But my experience is the the way that my culture functions or the way that even a lot of times the Bible condemns, um, that that war is going on within me daily. And so it's very much, it's not an us versus them, but it's a look at is there a better way to live life than just a lot of times we, we go through default without really being conscious of what we do uh, because inputs are flying at you all day long and they will ingrain themselves in you. And that isn't always bad. Um, being around people, coming to church, you know, you'd say, well, that, that's not bad. But the point being, uh, our desire is to see a lot of things that we engage in and are not even aware. And if we stop and think, well, is there a better way? Is there a way that Jesus kind of designed this life that I need to kind of set my mind or set my eyes on that will bear more fruit in my life, that will produce more joy in my life, that will produce more peace in my life? So various topics, but it could be everything from absolute truth versus relativism. It could be uh, worry and anxiety versus peace, and how do we go about getting those things. And tonight we're going to talk basically... Uh, about biblical thinking. And so the, the idea and the concept is this. Um, there's a few things that have to be in place before you, you learn to think biblically, but you can have all of the knowledge 
Bible knowledge in the world, and if, if there are certain practices that aren't in place, uh, it doesn't always carry over to daily life, and, and you all probably have experienced that, things that um, maybe even you knew since you were a young boy or young girl, and all of a sudden you were 35 years old, and you know your eyes were opened, and the Holy Spirit showed you uh, different things in your life, or maybe you met Christ for the first time, yet you grew up in church. Uh, maybe God revealed something to you that you have always struggled with and you just had no idea. Uh, so we realize that we're all continually on a journey. Uh, we're not going to be finished until uh, Christ returns to take us home or we, we die and go with him. Uh, so this is a process. Uh, the desire is to be pointed in the right direction. Uh, sometimes we're running, sometimes we're crawling. But my desire tonight is, uh, again, to, to, to help you, I suppose, and help myself and remind us what steps, what things need to be in place to get me from just knowing the Bible to living the Bible, where our theology becomes our biology? Um, let's, let's pray, and then we'll get rolling. Father, your word says that I have no good apart from you, and so I recognize that and ask that you would uh, show me the fullness of what that means so that I might empty myself, that I might become less, and that you might become more. You tell us to proclaim the goodness of God, and so that's what we are doing tonight. You ask us to gather and join in fellowship, and that's what we're doing tonight. Your word, Father, uh, we believe is alive and is applicable to our daily lives. We believe it's sufficient um, to guide us and to direct us, to teach us what's wrong, to teach us what's right. And we believe uh, your word is sufficient because Jesus Christ is sufficient. And so we come and we offer ourselves to you and ask that your Holy Spirit would, um, as it's invaded our life, would it, would it fill us? Would it control us? Would it give us ears to hear? Would it speak through me? We trust that you'll show up. In Christ's name, amen. There's there's a there's kind of a balance I think when you're when you're talking about a Bible versus culture when you when anytime you have verses uh, there's a balance because you're thinking of things you say yes to as well as things you say no to and throughout this this series we'll be pulling out some of those things and there's certainly a place to say no uh, the Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you um, talks over and over about things that we are to flee from or to stand firm against. So there's kind of that negative posture. But I, I believe it more often than not tells us what to say yes to. And so that's kind of my desire tonight is to not park too much on all the ways that our culture functions, but just enough to recognize, um, recognize it when we see it, recognize specifically when we see it in ourselves, but then hopefully the desire is, hey, show me what I can say yes to. Uh, Galatians 5.16 says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And that's kind of my mantra as far as the yes and no. Well, if I'm continuing to fix my eyes on Christ, uh, the other things j- just don't seem to happen. You will bear much fruit, right? Okay, so Proverbs 14.12 says this, there is a way that seems right to a man but its end is death. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. So how many times do we go about life, and and many times it's not always saying we're wrong, but all of a sudden something just seems right to you and you just do it. Happens to me constantly, really. But this is a little bit scary if I 
if I read this all the way through, that that can be a very, very dangerous place to be, but it seems so right. And whether you have strong opinion or weak opinion, there's a lot of things in my life that I have a very strong opinion about, and yet it still could lead me to death. And so we want to we want to try to figure out what 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 habits do I need to form? What habits do you need to form to keep us from this? Because I believe we're all very, very, this is a dangerous place, very dangerous place to be. We just finished having a, a short series on basically why we felt like the Bible was um, truly the word of God. We talked about a lot of different, different evidences that what God uh, first put on the hearts of man by his Holy Spirit years and years ago uh, there's a, we believe, great, great evidence that what we have today before us is that same message. And so, in a sense, we tried to make uh, make argument, I suppose, uh, put the Bible under scrutiny a little bit of why we can trust this and rely on this when it says it's the Word of God. Uh, we can hold to that. And so, now that we've kind of touched on that, this this next series, and for me, tonight is basically a focus on how do I approach the Scriptures and, and maybe even more importantly, how do I utilize them in my life, okay? First of all, I think it's important to think through why we do what we do. And every minute of every day, we have gobs of inputs that are just flooding our mind. You're sitting here, and I'm an input to you right now. And so this... Uh, this goes through a process, basically, where it, you're, you take it into your mind and you have to do one of three things. You're either going to accept it as true, you're going to reject it as false, or perhaps you need some more time to think about it and ponder it. And so there can be very, very quick and easy things. If I say, Seth, you are a woman, uh, some of you might not know what to do with that, but Seth is going to dismiss that as false incredibly quickly. Because he knows himself, he knows what a man is, he knows what a woman is. And so that input, I can throw at him, and he can't really deflect the fact that it's going to be input into his mind. But it's very easy for him to push that to the side, okay? Not all inputs are that easy to push to the side. And some inputs we can decide uh, to guard ourselves from. You guys decide what movies you watch. You decide what kind of music you listen to. You decide what kind of people you hang out with. You decide what kind of gatherings um, that you'll come to. And so those are different ways that we can, we can protect ourselves from various inputs where we kind of decide what's, what's coming in through, through our grids, if you will. But there's a ton of this that happens that we are totally, uh, it's just outside of our control. And so all these different external inputs, things like culture, uh, religion, family, basically these things, they, they mold our belief system from the outside. And it's kind of like, like soft mu- background music. It's forever playing. It's always there. And uh, that's, that's kind of what these inputs are. That's kind of what our culture has. And again, not always saying that that's bad. There are certain things that our culture partakes of that could be very bad. Um, there's others that can be very good and beneficial. But the point being, over time, uh, these things that we're exposed to, these external inputs, uh, they just ingrain on our minds, and as a result, they really shape many of our decisions. Whether it's something as surfacey as the, the style of clothes that we picked to wear tonight, um, or something as deep as what we believe about uh, dating uh, or who to marry or what we believe about God and his relationship with us. There's also, so in, in external inputs, external uh, 
uh, things that start to shape who we are internally. But what happens is as that goes in our mind and we either accept them or reject them, uh, there's a couple internal inputs, I suppose, internal filters that we use that really dictate a lot of the actions that we partake in. And specifically, I'm thinking of our intellect, the things that seem right to us, and our emotions, the things that feel right to us. Uh, another way to put it is kind of your reason versus your feelings. And again, the hard part is you kind of think you hear, you hear people talk about their independence and uh, being the captain of their own ship. And I think it's a total joke. Uh, and here's why. We, we have no idea that all of my feelings about something and even my reason has been largely, largely shaped from these external inputs. Largely shaped from the outside in. And so to think that I'm my own man... Um, and I'm going to kind of determine my fate. Uh, in one sense, it's like, yeah, uh, towards the end of that game, I suppose, but all the little filters that I put in place have, have been placed upon me. I hope, hope that's making sense. So, again, the, the question I think that takes place here is, if all these things are barraging me, all these inputs that I don't have a defense against, if you will, and those are starting to shape how I feel about things, what I think about things. And then, again, what you think and what you feel about certain scenarios is going to direct your action. And so, really, this is an incredibly important situation because, basically, our process of taking in inputs and deciding if they're true or they're false, th- it's going to control our life. So, really, what we're talking about is a matter of authority. An authority usually is something that we kind of push back against because this usually authorities want to make us do something right and so the first authority in your life is who Callie and Natalie who's the authority in your life Jesus and me that's a pretty good answer uh yeah it's your parents and so you grow up and sometimes you like that when your parents let you do what you want and other times you don't Right? And all the time when you're young, you think, I can't wait till I can grow up and do whatever I want. But then it doesn't, it doesn't quit. All of a sudden you get teachers, and then you get coaches, and then you get bosses, and on and on and on the list goes. To the point where you're driving down here, and if you're going on the interstate and you hit construction, you can no longer drive 75, right? You've got to drop it down to 55. If you choose to, what's your authority? It's the law, right? Uh, and the consequences that they can project upon you you could get a ticket now i don't have to follow that the the sign is up but i can choose to blow right through that uh, and i just have to be willing to take the consequences and so in one sense there's authorities put in place external ones all over uh, your life all over my life but we have a decision to make what we basically what authorities we surrender what authorities we submit to i'm going to define authority as something that controls your will and your will basically is your decision-making instrument. Since your will is what you use to make decisions and choose actions, your authority or authorities are actually what direct your life. So again, people can be your authorities, um, bosses, teachers. But I think the real authorities in our life, the things that, that often direct our life, go back to these internal things that we don't see. It's when, when we think something ought to be, when we feel something ought to be. So we're going to talk about how the world generally functions, the, the way that Satan, I think, wants us to function, utilize these inputs, how my flesh continues to try to function, and then compare that to what I believe biblical thinking would look like. 
Habakkuk 1.7 is talking about a group of people called the Chaldeans, and it says they are a dreaded and feared people because their authorities originate from within themselves. So if you compare the idea of being dreaded and fearful because their authorities come from themselves, they're their own gods, basically. And combined with Proverbs 14, where if I'm my own God, I'm my own authority, and God says there's a way that's going to seem right to you, Nick, but it's end his death. If you follow that far enough, and we'll give some examples to kind of flesh this out a little bit, uh, it doesn't sound like a great recipe, right? Basically, we decide what's right and wrong. We decide how other people should act, and we basically do whatever we please. In other words, I'm my God. Now, most of the time, if you're sitting in church here, uh, we wouldn't say that. We wouldn't, we wouldn't declare ourselves to be God. But really, if my authority is from within myself and that's what directs my life, I'm, I'm the Lord of my life. I'm my own God by way of and in the definition of controlling my life. The thing that I've surrendered to um, is myself. Basically, it goes like this. You have thoughts, feelings, and then actions. So my thoughts can come from anywhere. Seth says something to me, and all of a sudden I have a thought. That makes me feel a certain way, and when that feeling is strong enough, I act upon it. I come over here, and Corey says something else to me. Thought triggers. I feel a certain way, or I act upon it. Or the enemy throws a thought at you, and it makes you feel a certain way, and then you act upon it. And not all of those thoughts from the enemy are necessarily um, incredibly evil. And so part of the process is let's just start to be aware of our thoughts. Let me give you an example. You have a 12-year-old son, and you discover a text message on his phone, and it ends with, I love you too. And you're going, what is this? And so you say, can I see your phone? And he says, yeah. And, and, and you say, who's this from? Uh, I don't know, it's from, from some girl. Well, where's the rest of the uh, messages? I don't know, she just sent that to me. She just said, I love you too out of the blue? Uh-huh. First of all, how many of you believe in the 12-year-old, right? doesn't happen. Um, you have a rule in your house that their phone is your property and you have full access to their phone. Because of this rule, and you also have a rule that you don't erase any messages. Okay, so right now, you got a lot of inputs going into your head as mom or dad, right? What kind of emotions do you start to feel? You're angry because your son broke your rule, because your son not only broke one rule, but he's lying to you. He's being deceptive. What other emotions? Disappointment? How about fear? Not only, you know, breaking the text message rule is one thing, but remember the content. Some girl's telling your 12-year-old son, I love you too. You don't know who this is from, and so you're curious. Maybe you have a little fear because he's erasing this stuff, and hey, if it was just, you know, some girl's got a crush on you. Happens to a lot of us all the time, right, guys? nothing wrong. But yet, as you start to put all these pieces, again, these are all the inputs. They don't come one at a time. They don't come very simple. You, you, your mind starts to take over, and then your emotions start to get amped up. And then let's go a little bit further. Um, you demand some answers from your son, and so you're hounding him, 
and he's not being real cooperative, and your husband isn't jumping in, and you're saying, say something, do something, and you're not getting answers, and you're getting more and more worked up, more and more worked up, and pretty soon your husband says, will you just drop it? Okay, now what's going on? Anger, even higher, right? Frustration, even higher. Now you're not just mad at your son, you're mad at your husband. And so the thoughts go crazy. This, uh, we're losing control of our son, right? Those are the first ones. Oh my gosh, what else is he doing? Thoughts roll and roll and roll. Is he lying about other things? And then, of course, you all know, you play that thing out over and over and over. Next thing you know, there's a pregnant girl on the end of that thought. And you're saying, he's going to ruin his baseball career. He's going to ruin his school. He's going to ruin all this stuff because of this one text message. And so one thought led to a feeling, led to an action. And then that just compounds, compounds, compounds. And then, of course, the thoughts get triggered. More thoughts, more thoughts, more thoughts, more thoughts. Your emotions get higher and higher and higher and higher. And so this is very, very easy to see ourselves in, is it not? Okay, and now here's the problem. Most of the time, there's a lot of partial truths in here. So it's one thing for me to just tell Seth, you're a woman. That's easy. Gone. Satan usually doesn't just throw those simple of thoughts in our mind either. But most of the time, there's some partial truths in here, right? It's not good that this girl's saying I love you to my son. True? We don't know yet. It's not good that he lied to me. True? Absolutely. It's not good that he's uh, breaking the rules. True? Right. And so there's a lot of ammunition that you have as a mom to continue to, uh, to, to demand some of, these, uh, some of these requests, okay? Here's, here's a quote that uh, has always stuck with me. And I think, again, the part of the example is let's, let's see ourselves and how easy this happens where it's just reaction. It's just reaction. It says, sin takes you farther than you ever wanted to go. It keeps you longer than you ever wanted to stay. And it costs you more than you ever wanted to pay. So initially, we might say, and many of you moms might say, she has not done anything wrong, and maybe she hasn't yet. But the point is, in any of this, was she ever aware or was she ever conscious? Did she ever take any thought captive to try to think through this from a biblical grid? Or was this entirely driven by emotions and her view of what was right and wrong? can be incredibly easy. We get here all the time, don't we? And so the point right here is not necessarily if she did anything right and wrong in action, but it was her process to determine her actions. Same scenario, but here's what I think biblical thinking takes place. Again, the difference, the Bible says in the New Testament, there's a verse that says knowledge puffs up. And all through scripture, it talks about, um, mostly Proverbs, talks about wisdom a great deal. And you probably heard it discussed. Wisdom is knowledge applied to life. And so knowledge in and of itself does us no good. But when that knowledge begins to be applied to our life, uh, that's when it comes alive. That's when it, it turns to wisdom. I, I believe that's why um, people older in their years, we say they're more experienced. They've, they've taken all that they have, and they have all these life experiences to run through them. So we say that's, that's wise. There's got to be some wisdom that comes there. 
as opposed to having a thought thrown at you from the enemy or thinking one on your own or having someone say it to you and then that triggers reactions and then you act like a slave, I believe the context is, or the, the order would be fact, faith, and then feeling. Fact comes first. That's the front car of the train. Faith, then feeling. What's another word for fact? Truth. So if, if I have an input at me, the, we'll, we'll, we'll unpack this 12-year-old son scenario. But basically, there's an input. There's a thought. If I'm used to filtering that through, through a lens of biblical truth, then I think, okay, what's, what's true about this scenario? And again, that's tricky because a lot of times there is a little bit of partial truth with each of these. So we've got to start thinking about what's truth. Now, do I put my faith in that truth? Do I believe that to be true? And then I let my feelings come later. And, and most of the time, I think after enough practice of that process, fact, faith, I think God eventually brings your feelings around. Now, it doesn't always happen. There's a lot of times where this is what's true. I've run that through the grid of the scripture. I'm going to act on that by faith, and I still feel incredibly fearful or incredibly angry. Generally, I don't think it's, you know, for this gal, maybe it jumped up to a 10, and I think walking through that process, um, she's still going to feel all those things. Uh, generally, I don't think they're quite as intense. And you guys know, when, when the feelings are incredibly intense, it's hard to do, it's hard to think straight. When I get so mad to the point where I, I would describe it as raging, I mean, I can't pull up any scriptures. It's, it's really hard to think, and we make foolish decisions. Or when you're so scared or full of anxiety or deeply depressed, when the emotions are heightened, the brain stops working really well, right? And so if we walk through a process that doesn't mean we're flatlining, but it's going to keep those emotions from spiking so intensely high where it's really hard to fight them, then we have a lot better chance to succeed in making, making a level-headed decision, right? And that's why we call it that, because we're, we're in our right minds, and usually that basically means we're not jacked up on anger or anxiety. All right, so let's walk through this. You get a text from your son, or you, you, you come across that text, I love you too. So immediately we have a need to think biblically on this process. So we start reciting truth to ourselves, okay? And so same process happens. You're asking questions. Maybe you're asking the exact same questions that you started with. Who's that? Where's the rest of the message? Why'd you delete them? You know we have a rule that you can't delete your text. We're going to have some consequences for this. Demand more and more answers, more and more answers. Now you're lying to me. And again, your husband jumps in and says, would you just leave it alone? Okay, emotions are amped up, but now's the time to think biblically. And basically, you just start reciting the truth to yourself, and you see if it, if you see if it brings you to any action. So you don't have to be able to cite or know where these things are, but I, I mean, I threw a few of them down. Submit to one another out of reverence for the Lord. Respect your husband. Live with your wife in an understanding way. Show kindness to all, especially to those who are in Christ. Speak the truth in love. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Man and his wife become one flesh. So all these things are just little tiny nuggets that are found in Scripture that if she walks through these, if these start to flood her mind, and if she consciously takes these things and focuses on them, they're small nuggets. 
They just keep going. There's thousands of them. All the scripture can be brought to her mind this way. It's at least going to shape her next course of action. She's at least going to have a lens or a perspective where she still may totally disagree with her husband, correct? But yet if she thinks through, my husband and I are one, you can see how different her approach to him might be. You can think, you can think through, respect your husband at all times. Okay, what's that mean? Maybe I need to bite my tongue right here. And maybe when we get home, I'm going to say, "Hun, I do not understand why you didn't hammer our son while we were in the car. He was lying to me. Maybe the conversation goes the way you want. Maybe it doesn't. But the point is, if you walk, if you take these inputs and these things and these circumstances, and if you filter them through your authority of the scripture, it will dictate whether you go to the right or the left, whether you keep hounding, whether you bite your tongue. And this, this will happen all day for her because then she has to decide, uh, which, you know, one of the things that I would think is a uh, man and his wife, they're called to be honest. They're called to speak the truth. So it's not saying, hey, she just bites her tongue and shuts up and doesn't say anything. I wouldn't think that would be biblical either. But maybe at that moment, she does, and her emotions die down, and now she's got to take the same circumstance through the same process. I think I'm called to be honest with him. We're parenting together. So you can see how it's not necessarily, my point is not necessarily the, the action, but it's the process that she got there. I hope that's making some sense. Again, perhaps her feelings are still anger, still frustration, still concern, Maybe it went from being intensely mad to frustrated. Maybe it went from being incredibly fearful what her son's into, but just a little concerned. I think, again, it levels you off a little bit. Perhaps God gives you understanding to see the circumstance through his perspective, where then you ask God to be your strength because you know you're going to have to forgive because you're really mad at your son and you're really mad at your husband. Maybe you're going to have to ask God to give you understanding because now you and your husband have to come to an agreement uh, in how to discipline him. So in that moment of perhaps being quiet, there's a prayer. There's an invitation to God to, I need you to invade this situation because I need your strength. I need your patience. I need your wisdom. And so in my mind, this is the process of thinking biblically. It's a process of taking what this wife knows up here and beginning to train herself with discernment to make these right decisions. At first, this can be very, very hard and very, very um, intentional. But just like driving a car, when we were first learning we were driving cars, we were aware of everything, right? Blinker right here. Look here. You almost talked yourself through it. Super, super conscious and aware of everything. But over time, all of a sudden, you don't think about it at all and you're still doing it all right. And again, I think we'll forever have to be take our thoughts captive, which we'll talk a little bit more about. But the point being, this stuff gets easier over time. First, and f- first step, I think, to think biblically is this. We must decide to evaluate and monitor our thoughts and actions. If we're so used to, we just do what we do, default. Doesn't even come up on the radar, the enemy wins. If that's how I function, I am my own God. And again, I'm a slave to all of you because all of your inputs and my culture and everything else has, has made itself into me. And it's made itself into you. And so if I'm not used to at least bringing those things to mind, 
Um, that's where we have to start. 2 Corinthians 10 says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Somebody knocks on your door, do you just let anybody in? No way. You check and see who it is. If it's someone you know, hey, come on in. If it's a shady-looking guy with a hood on his head and a Jason mask, you don't let him in, right? So that's the process of, of taking your thoughts captive. Thoughts can come all over the place. We are weird, right? But it's just stop that thing at the door and see, is this of God? Is this of the enemy? Where is this coming from? Simply be aware of it. Two, decide God is the ultimate and only fitting authority. This is, again, we talk about surrender, submission. Never forget counseling with the gal who counsels at our office, and uh, we were unpacking a, a case together, and she said, you know, ultimately what I'm looking for is one of these two to bend their knee to Jesus. And that idea of, I want to see someone with their knee bent to Jesus, and that's all I need, is, was her kind of perspective. And so it's deciding that God is the only one who's proper to be my filter. He's the only one who's, it's fitting to be God, not me. And three is we must be exposed to the truth often. We must be exposed to the word of God often. The Bible uses, uh, Greek word is uh, logos, and it means written word. And then there's also logos that means living word. And in John 1, it says, I am the way, I'm sorry, that's a different one. We'll talk about that maybe later. Uh, John 1, what's it say? Jesus says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word came and dwelt among us. It's talking about Jesus Christ, how this is the living Word. But he's given us his holy scriptures to get to know him, to get to understand principles. So we have a chance to think biblically, because none of these things will flood your mind. You won't have that filter if you don't know what this means. And I've been reading this thing for most of my life, and if in the heat of the moment, when my emotions get high, what comes to my mind is whatever has been in front of me most recently. And so to think that I'm going to draw back on stuff that you and I learned when we were young or even three days ago is kind of hard. But you think about what do you dream about? A lot of times you dream about just the stuff that's been in front of your face. And so that's the constant need to just keep this in front of us, keep this in front of us, keep this in front of us, whether it's me reading it personally, whether it's me and a friend talking about it, whether it's coming to church, whether it's listening to sermons. Um, there's a lot of different ways we can keep these things in front of us. But it's, we're desperate for it because that's, that will make itself as a filter. And even if I want that to be my filter, if it's not in front of me, other things are going to make themselves in there. It's just how we work. Rosario Butterfield was a gal who, uh, she was a college professor, uh, highly academic, uh, incredibly liberal, was practicing a lesbian lifestyle at, at a time in her life, and she was basically looking at a religious view of something. And so in her academic mind, she would take whatever she was studying and she would just pour over it and pour over it and pour over it and pour over it. And she needed to study religion, and so she poured over the Bible. And she did not read the Bible with the intent of finding God. She read the Bible to serve her for her papers. But she made a comment that just stuck to me. She said she was reading the Bible for five hours a day. And that's what she does with all of her books. She's a reader. And again, she approached this not with the intent of, I want to find God here. But she said anybody that spent any amount of time knows that when you're in the Bible for five hours a day, it changes you. 
and God grabbed a hold of that time and grabbed a hold of this woman and radically changed her life. And again, I believe it was she was in front of this thing, and all of a sudden, what if this stuff is true? What if this Jesus is who he says he is? So he must be in front of it. Last thing I'll share with you. Um, here's, a, here's what it looks like in my life, and I want you to apply this in your life. I want you to start thinking through this process. Uh, we're in the middle of basketball season. The other day, Callie says, I would love to watch an NBA basketball game. And so all of a sudden, my mind goes, Denver Nuggets. How cool would it be for just me and Callie to go down to Denver and watch an NBA basketball game if that would be something that she'd love to do? I'd love to do that. Next thought. That's really, really hard for me right now, handicapped. It's really, really hard for me to travel. Basketball's in the winter. So we got to go to a hotel, and it's, if it's just her and I, and we got to find a shuttle to get to the venue. That's sometimes hard enough with itself. I'm going to have to bring my wheelchair because I can't walk that far. And what if it's snowing and we're trying to walk through the crowd? Callie's going to have to push me. What if there's ice all over the place? And so all of these things start popping into my head. Guess how I start to feel? A little bit angry, a little bit down. And these are, these are real circumstances. These are real situations. And so I have a deep need at that moment when those thoughts come because they're real. When those thoughts come, this, is good, this could be really hard to really make this happen. And that happened in a 30-second period of time for me. But I need to think biblically. I need to start reciting the truth to my mind. Preach to yourself. The Lord delights in doing me good. Surely he did not spare his own son. He won't spare any good thing. God causes all things to work to the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. In Christ Jesus, he will supply your every need. So all of these things need to start to shape how I view that. Now, whether we go to Denver or not is not the point tonight. The point is I need to continue to recite God's love for me and how he will use this situation and this circumstance, whatever it may be, if I can see that through the lens of God's love, if I can see that through the lens of his commandments to me, there's going to be a different action. There's going to be a different emotion. There's going to be a different outcome. So your choice and my choice is in every moment of life, we can continue to look through the lens of God's truth and God's love and allow that to direct and dictate our life, where truly when we say the Lord is my God, he will be, and he will be controlling my life. Or we can continue to just go by default to not even be aware of these thoughts and let our emotions, let our culture, let our minds run the show, and we will be our own gods. And Proverbs 14.2 will come full-fledged. There's a way that seems right to man, but its end is death. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If we continue to let that person who that defines, the living word, orchestrate and ask him to show us how to keep him as our filter, I think that, that's when we truly have life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's not just uh, words on paper. And God, I pray that one, you would protect us from ever approaching the Bible um, and missing Jesus. Uh, but we do know and believe that, that this is the only source uh, that's fully credible to explain who you are and to guide our way. And so when I pray that you would give us a love for your word, give me a love for your word, and when I don't love it, I pray that you would give me the discipline to just be in front of it,
I pray that you would surround me with people that would strengthen me in the word, that would encourage me. And then I pray that you would just be merciful and gracious to, gracious to us, that as we go about our every day, we would begin this process of running everything through the lens of scripture, of holding everything through uh, the filter of your word so that it truly would control us. And we know that being controlled by perfect love is a good thing. Amen.